0: to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word.
1: You're in for just a wonderful treat. number of years ago, uh, Chrissy came home from a speaking engagement and said, Al, I, I've made a new friend, i met a woman, and we are like, we just are like sisters, and, um, and and I've I've uh, I've experienced a ministry that is just like amazing. She was like, you got to get to Detroit. You've got to go see this. You have to experience it to believe it. And a number of months ago, I was actually able to go to the House of Providence. It's a very unique ministry to um, to girls. Um, That are taken in from the foster care system and from the most tragic situations, it's just beyond explanation. And uh, um, I was fortunate enough to go there because any of my daughters kind of gone on staff with them and um, it was really, really powerful. And I, I I was thinking about this before they come up. I'm so happy for you. And as a pastor, one of the things that you need to do is pray for for special partnerships and for unique people to come because, here's why. It's because no one, and I mean no one, has the full counsel of God. You see, and so I try my best from the bottom of my heart to be a good pastor to you and preach the best that I can from what God shows me in the word and so do the other pastors. But it's important to bring people Because there are unique things that God puts in them, things that they see that are so special. I was just hanging out with Jay yesterday, and there were things that he was saying, and I was like, I was just marveling at what God has put in him. It really, it really even speaks to the fact why we tell you, hey, connect with the body of Christ, because there's something special in you from God. How many believe that here today? Amen. And so... These people are a gift to the kingdom of God, to the body of Christ, and now not only are they a, a gift to Chrissy and I, but they're a gift to our church. And they have a beautiful family. I, I got a picture of their family. They have eight kids. Oh, snap. And they're going to tell you all about their family. Let's welcome Jay and Maggie Dunn as they come.
2: Well, good morning. It is uh, good to be here this morning. You guys are suffering this great weather here in October 22nd. It's beautiful, isn't it? Uh, we'll take this uh, all through winter. That would be absolutely phenomenal. Before we get started, I just, uh, Mag and I, I, I know Pastor Al and, and Chrissy, uh, they say we're great people. We're really not. Uh, they're Hi. really, Maggie is. <clears throat> but Pastor Al and Chrissy, yeah. Chicago Tabernacle is blessed to have not just pastors, but authentic, godly, loving pastors. And uh, can we take a moment, let's just honor them. There's a lot of people that serve the role as a pastor, but then there's real pastors. And, uh, and I don't say that as a knock to anybody else, but, but they are the real deal. And uh, we're honored to be able to uh, be a part of their lives. Honored to be here today and to just see and experience what the Lord is doing here at Chicago Tabernacle. We're, we're so excited about it and what's, what's to come. And so uh, Maggie and I are privileged uh, to be able to be here. And, uh, and House of Providence, Maggie's going to tell you a little bit about who we are.
0: Good morning. Um, As Pastor Al shared, we're so excited to have Annie uh, on loan to us as a part of the team, and she's such a blessing, so um, we're grateful for that. We, um, I don't know how many of you know, but we have a crisis in our nation, um, and a crisis that is 600,000 children strong. There are over 600,000 children in foster care in the U.S., and It's not an overstatement to say that they are suffering. And I I know that statistics can be a little bit dry sometimes. You read data and statistics. But once you meet one of these children to whom the statistics are attached to, you can't unsee that. There's certain things when you see, now you know, and now we're responsible, and Statistics like, today, in the United States, if you take a cross-section of the prison population, over 50% of those in prison today in the U.S. were foster children. Over 80% of those on death row today, 80% were foster children Once a girl ages out of foster care, which means she turns 18, and in Michigan they give her about $1,500 and say, work it out. We haven't given you any skills, but work it out. And over 75% end up in the sex industry, just trying to make ends meet. We can do better. We can do better. And the Lord has given us a solution, and we're we're so privileged to be tasked with this because we know there are kids who have cried out to the Lord, this nebulous idea of a God, if you're even out there, help me. I'm being abused. I'm out of the frying pan, into the fire, so to speak. And they've cried out to the Lord, and the Lord sent us. And he sent us to be an answer to them and to say, let's build this place. Let's get it ready. Come on in. We're going to help you because children need a covering. And when they don't have a covering, the enemy runs rampant. And there's bondages and there's suicide and there's self-harming. And there's all of these things that the enemy does where he tries to steal, kill, and destroy. But the Lord has sent us to see the captive set free. Release the prisoner. And we're seeing it happening, and it's working. And over 50 girls have gone through our program. And we're commissioning churches in the Detroit area saying, who will be a family? Stand up. We need a family. We have a 7-year-old. She just needs a family. And so what we're doing is working because of the power of Christ and because it is his model. And when the Lord sets something forth, it cannot fail. And now we're expanding. The, the state of Michigan is coming to us every day. We have another girl. Now we have boys. They're ask, we don't even house boys. Why are you sending me Tyler's information? I don't even house boys. They say, we know what you're doing is working. We don't know why, but we know it's working. And I was able to, at the state level, sit down and say, you're going to be really let down. It's really simple. They want some big Maslow's hierarchy of needs. No, it's very simple. Do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. And it should inform everything we do for these children. How would I want to be treated if I was alone on planet earth and I was seven years old? What food would I want for lunch? A lot of these places send in jail food that's left over that the adults don't use and they send it over to the shelter. No, no. It informs the scripture has to inform everything we do, but the state is confused, but the church is not, and what we're doing is working. So, thank you.
2: We presently have a girls' home in Detroit, and uh, we house eleven girls that are there uh, presently right now. We we work with kids in between the ages of seven and nineteen, and uh, they're literally just languish out any without any hope, without any buddy with them, and so. The, the Lord has been very faithful. We just purchased 118 acres just last June uh, that we closed on, and we're opening uh, on that 118 acres to have a girl's home, a boy's home, a home for disabled youth to be able to create a, a full therapeutic campus that we can allow kids to experience God's love, God's grace, and God's power. and. Uh, The Lord is very good uh, to us as we do that, and and we're grateful to be here to share. And we have a quick video that we want to put up that'll give you a a little greater picture of uh, House of Providence and the needs of some of our kids. Every day, children by the hundreds, the thousands, the tens of thousands, they have the simple cry of, I wish that I had someone that would love me, someone that would embrace, someone that would protect, someone that would give a rip about them. House of Providence for Maggie and I has been a a journey through our life of, of recognizing a need, not knowing exactly how to fix it, how to be the solution, how to how to begin to rescue, but just processes of steps of saying, Lord, I'm going to position myself to be and to do whatever it is that you would ask, whatever it is that you would require to let go whatever it is that you've given me to be able to be an answer to truly an epidemic within our nation and even more so within our world of children, the most vulnerable on the planet, I remember just a few years ago, one of our little girls, she was 11 years old. She was yay tall, maybe a little bit about four foot, but she was one of the most broken, feisty young ladies I've ever met in my life. She had the ability to smile, to laugh, to make other people laugh, but she had so much pain, so much hurt, and she had one desire, And in her desire to be able to find this hope, this this opportunity to experience the love that every single child deserves, she would she would rage out in anger and do anything that she could to experience a hug, to experience attention. And I remember one time she was there, and, and, and sometimes House of Providence is one of those opportunities, it's the most joyful opportunity, but at the other time, it's one of the most difficult and sad opportunities you can experience because you see inside of this young little girl that should be able to, to run and to laugh and be on a swing and play and, and be able to have all this opportunity, you see so much pain and hurt. One night, this little girl put a couple of our staff one evening through uh, quite an episode, and, and we came in to try to help her walk through it. And as we sat there, and I got her calmed down, and I held her into my arms, she began to cry these words that literally have haunted me every day since. And her words were, I just want my mommy that's all she wanted. She was like, I just want my mommy and over and over and over as she cried and eventually put her head into my shoulder and begin just, to, I begin to hold her and, and just begin to pray Father. And that pain and that story is replayed over and over and over and over again and sadly she actually ran away to try to find her mom, showed up at her mom's house. And her mom said, what are you doing here? I don't want you. At 11 years old. And that's what House of Providence does. We say, no, we want you. There is the God of the universe that he wants you. There is a church that we say, we want you. We want to make an impact. We want to make a difference. Church, we are the solution to every single problem on the planet. We really are. We are the solution like Jesus Christ has placed his Holy Spirit within us and empowered us to be the answer. He's empowered us to be able to go and to use the gifts and the talents and to be able to use all that he has given us to be an answer wherever our place is. For Maggie and I, it's at house of providence. For you, it may be in your school, it may be in the place you work, it may be in your neighborhood, it may be wherever that is, we are called to be a solution. But so often I think in the midst of being the solution, we become overwhelmed with what is it that we can do? How can I effectively make an impact in somebody else's lives? Because I look at me, and when I look at me, I see my weaknesses, I see my insecurities, I see the brokenness of Jay himself, and I think, Lord, how could you use me? How could you take this young man that grew up uneducated without really a parental force around him that loved him? How could you use me to make an impact into the lives that are around us? And the truth is this, we make an impact not because of who we are, but because of who he is within us. We make an impact because God's spirit is powerful inside of our lives. And his spirit just isn't powerful inside of those that are doing things. His spirit is powerful inside of each and every one of us. I think for me, sometimes I look at it and I try to figure it out. I believe that for some of us, we can see the need, but we become paralyzed. We become overwhelmed with the statistics and say, how could I make a difference? And we assume that our little bit, our little whatever we had, would never make a difference anyways. And can I share this morning, your little bit will make a huge difference. When we take our little bit and we put it into the hands of the almighty God, we will make a big difference. I think sometimes in our lives, and for me is true, that I've stepped out and I've said yes to what the Lord's wanted me to do. And, and I prayed through it, walked through it, but then all hell broke out in my life difficulties came, and, and all these things happened, and then I begin to pause what I was doing because I begin to focus on not realizing what's really happening, and I stop and do nothing. And I believe in this room this morning, there are men and women filled with dreams and passions that the Lord has bestowed within you, but life has happened, and they've been sitting dormant. And my prayer is today that those dreams that are dormant will become alive today, and we will step out and say, yes, Lord. I think for others sometimes we, we live in America, right? That's the American dream. The American dream is the biggest lie because no one ever achieves the American dream. The American dream is always another thing and once we gain that another thing, that other piece, whatever that may be, we always need something else, And so we begin to view Scripture and and God's truths and God's words in our life based upon this dream of comfort and peace and safety and that the Lord would not ask me to do these difficult things. But when I read through Scripture, it's packed When you look through history, it's packed with individuals that God has asked them to do difficult things. And it is in the difficult that we experience the power and the presence of the Almighty. So how do we make a change? I just want to take a few moments. How do we make an impact in our community? And I think it starts really easy. It's obedience to his word. It really is. When I look at scripture, there's a lot of people that are a whole lot smarter than I am. But I believe that the Lord has written the scripture that I don't need to go and take and reinterpret the scripture to make it fit into what I believe it really means. I believe that we can take it at face value and we can say, yes, Lord, this is your word. Your word says this, so I'm going to do this. I believe it's on the other side of our obedience that we experience the fulfillment of what God wants in our lives. I also believe, and I've experienced in my own life, that it's in my lack of obedience that I'm praying, Father, give me a breakthrough. I'm praying, Father, do a work in my life. Father, open this door, and Father, open this door, and do this. And the whole time the Lord is saying, do what is right in front of you. Walk in the door that I've already given you. Could you imagine, church, if we took what we know and we just begin to apply it every single day in our lives? What would happen if we just took the scripture that we know and we begin daily in every decision, every choice that we make, everywhere that we place our feet, we said, Lord, we are going to obey. We're going to think, make decisions. We're going to act. We're going to react. Based upon the scripture that we know, we could transform our community in a week. It's obedience to his word. And secondly, it's cooperation with his Holy Spirit. When we walk and we say, Lord, I want to hear your word, his spirit begins to speak to us and we have to begin to cooperate with what it is he's saying at any time, any moment, any place, despite what we feel or think. But so often in my own life, I begin to justify and say, the Lord wouldn't ask that of me. The Lord wouldn't want that of me. He would want that of Pastor Al. He would want that of Maggie. He would want that of everybody else. But the Lord wouldn't ask me to do this. He doesn't understand what's going on in me. And I believe the very thing that we struggle with is the very thing as we begin just to pursue Him. I love Matthew 6:33. He says, "Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his ways, seek first his heart. Seek first his desires, and then all those things that we pray, we ask, we're looking for, God says that He then would supply, that He would give them to us." So how do we become the solution? The truth that I want us to hold on today is is this, the truth is it's not about what you have or how much that you have, but it's what you're willing to do with what it is that you do have. Let me say that again, it's not about what you have or how much that you have. There's no favoritism in the kingdom. The Lord has placed gifts and talents and resources in all of us as the body. It's not about the level of of, of influence or gifts or talents that we have. It's about taking the talents and the gifts that we have and saying, Lord, I'm willing to use them for your kingdom. And when we use them for the kingdom, we experience the fulfillment of what God's desired in our lives. It's not about what we have. It's not about how much we have or how little that we have. It's about what we're willing to do with what it is that we do have. I believe one of the greatest examples in scripture to be able to lay this out, one of my favorite portions, is found in 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah is here and, and he speaks to King Ahab, and there is this, this worship of Baal and other gods, and all these things happen, and the Lord's trying to get their attention, and everybody's ignoring what the Lord wants. And so God sends Elijah to King Ahab and tell him that there is not going to be any rain on the land until Elijah says so. Until the Lord begins to provide it and there's a famine all across the land. There's no food, there is nothing. But the Lord says to Elijah, if you would go to the Cherith Brook, you go there and you drink from that brook and I'll have the ravens come and provide food for you which that would be pretty awesome, right? Literally God's provision in that way. And so he goes and then he's there for days and weeks and he, he walks through it and then the brook dries up. And the brook dries up and he starts in verse nine and he says this to Elijah. He says, arise, he says, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Can we just stop there for one moment? Elijah is already in a desolate place. The brook is dried up. There's nothing left for him to drink. And the Lord is saying, I want you to go to another place that is just as dry, and I want you to dwell there. Think about that for a moment. So often, the power, the presence, the healing is in a place that is in the natural, incredibly dry and desolate. I remember a few years ago as we resigned from being youth and children's pastors and we knew that the Lord called us to lead pastor and we went out with excitement and expectancy and and we knew we heard from the Lord and we thought the Lord was going to answer it just like that. It was 14 months later... That we ended up in the place that the Lord had us. But in that meantime, we were in a dry, desperate place. I remember in the basement of a home, I was working for Maggie's dad. He had the, the graciousness to hire me to do heating and cooling. I've never done it in my life. I just knew that you turned on for heat and the heat worked. I didn't know how to put it together. But he said, Jay, I'll pay you just as if you're one of the guys that, know what, that knows what they're doing. I'm thinking, great, great. I had no idea that a job that would take the average guy maybe a week to do would take me a month. And it would take me a month, literally, in the middle of winter, no heat in the house, of cutting every single finger because of the sheet metal. Literally, there's one time we went to an interview and every single finger didn't have just band-aids on it. They were bandages because, I mean, I just sliced my fingers with a sheet metal. And I remember being in those basements and I'm hanging ductwork and thinking, Lord, why on earth do you have me here? Why am I in this dark, cold basement? And that day I'm reaching up to screw in a return air, switching it over, and I screwed my ring finger right up into the truss. And obviously I screwed it and I screamed and I dropped the drill. And just as it fell, hand up, I reached and I caught it. Nobody else is in the house. My hand screwed up to the joist, Thinking, Lord, this is not your will. Right? Because the Lord would not allow me to go through such pain and difficulty. Because I'm his son, Right? Can I tell you it's in that season, in the most dark, cold, desolate place with some of the greatest pain that the, word, the Lord worked out. So many things in my life that he couldn't have worked out anywhere else. So often we look through the natural lens and we miss opportunities because we won't dwell in places that are not comfortable, that are not safe. And church, I believe if we would allow ourselves to dwell. See, it doesn't matter if I'm in a barren land. It doesn't matter if I'm in a dark, cold, freezing basement with my fingers screwed to a joist. The presence of the Lord is just the same there. As he is, it doesn't matter where it's at. Because it's about me and him, it's not about geographics. So the Lord told Elijah, I want you to move from the dry brook and I want you to go and dwell in this other place that is, that is, there's a famine. And he says, behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, when I read scripture like this, I'm like, first of all, you want me to dwell in a desolate place. Secondly, I believe it's against nature that I would have a widow take care and feed me. When I read it, everything was contrary to the natural. But the scripture says that Elijah says, so he arose and he went to Zarephath. Even though it was unnatural, it didn't make sense. It wouldn't have added up. He was wanting God to, to send the rain so everything would happen. He arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, it says, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. It says, he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel in this clay pot that I may drink. So Elijah had to step out in faith. Here's this widow. Here it is in this barren place. He sees her at the gate gathering sticks, has no idea why she's gathering the sticks, and we're going to find that out in a moment. But he goes up and he says, hey, maybe this is the one that I'm supposed to meet with. Will you go grab me some water? So that he can experience, and as she was going to bring it, scripture says, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. To me, the audacity A widow in a desolate land. He knows it's famined. He knows that there's not enough food for people to eat. But the prophet shows up and says, hey, I want you to not just give me water, but I want you to give me food. I didn't grow up with the best manners in my life. But I know well enough that I wouldn't do that. I would have been the one to try to go gather the sticks and do something for her. But I love this. Stay with me. It says, and as she was going, he asked to bring a morsel, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar, and a little oil in a jug, and now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. This lady's in a desperate situation. She's in a place that only two things are going to happen. She's going to die, her and her son, or there's going to be a miracle. And when I researched and read this, she wasn't a believer. She lived in the land of Baal. She lived in a land of idol worship. She wasn't a believer. But yet the prophet showed up. She had enough knowledge of the Lord, probably with the hopes that maybe the Lord is going to do something. She was desperate. She was in need. And I love when you read Scripture and Elijah said to her, do not fear. That's easy for him because he wasn't about to die, right? Do not fear, it's all right. Go and do as you have said. And I love this, and this is where I want to stay for a little bit. But he says, but first, before you go make for you and your son, first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make me make something for yourself and your son. how often do we miss the provision of the Lord because we're not willing first to obey what the Lord's put before us? How often do I miss the miraculous in my life, in my neighborhood, in my family, in my workplace, wherever I am, because I usually put J first. I usually am looking out for my best interests as much as I try to love the Lord. Most of the time, I live my life looking out for me and my family. So many times, driving down the road or different opportunities, I hear the Lord speak and I just move on with my own agenda. I move on just doing my own thing, and this widow had the opportunity. She had a choice. I can either obey the prophet, or I can continue to do what it is I was doing. And that's what's so awesome about the Lord's love, that he provides opportunity, and if we choose to walk in it, he will provide extravagantly for our lives. That doesn't mean every time we obey that we're going to get a check in the mail and all this is going to happen. And I believe his provision is far more than money, which God does that. He blesses us, but I believe it's about peace, contentment. It's knowing who we are, walking in the goodness of the Lord. And Elijah promises to her, and he tells her, do not fear and go, but first. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel... He says this to her: "The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord reigns upon the earth." In verse fifteen, starting in verse eight, it says, "And she went, and she did as Elijah had asked." Can I ask a question this morning? We look around our nation, and we all know it's, it's, it's in trouble, isn't it? It doesn't matter if you're in the inner city of Detroit, Chicago. It doesn't matter if we're in the richest counties of our nation. All around our world, we're, it's in trouble. I've heard it said that the church is the hope of the world. If it is working right. Right? I believe every one of us, we have this dilemma in our lives. We know what the Lord's asked of us. We know what the Lord has put in front of us. But we're sitting here saying, Lord, I don't know if, my, if I can do it. I don't know if I'm good enough. What about my family? What about me? What about my circumstance? God, what about my hurt, my pain? What about my struggle? And those are all very valid things. But we have to understand who we're having the conversation with. Like he is our healer, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally, financially. He is our provider. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our strength. And we have these conversations saying, Lord, I don't know if I want to trust you in this. And I believe some, if not many, or most of us are in that dilemma today. Lord, what do I do with today? What do I do with what you placed in front of me? What do I do with the scripture that I already know? The last few days being with Pastor Al and Chrissy and hearing the dreams that, and what the Lord has done and what they're looking for the Lord to do, can I tell you, it takes an army of individuals that are saying, God, I am willing to give what I have first unto you and then I'm going to leave the rest up to him. It takes individuals saying, God, I'm going to use my gifts, my talents, my resources, my time, everything that I have. Lord, I am yours. And I'm going to trust you with the balance. I'm going to trust you with what is left. I am surrendering to you. And it's amazing, this widow, so desperate. The Bible says she went and she did. She first made it for Elijah. And it's incredible. Can you imagine, just five more minutes. Can you imagine a handful of flour? This is desperate. This, there was no Costco. There was no Meyer. Meijer only a Michigan thing. Is Meyer in Illinois? There's no grocery store. There was nowhere to go get any more food. This was it. And here she took it, that oil, and she made the bread. There is no better place to be than in the most desperate place that you have to trust in the Lord. Can I go on to say, if, if you're not in the place that only if he doesn't show up or does show up, I'm in trouble. If we're not living in a place that's saying, Lord, if you don't show up today. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Maggie and I just did that a few months ago. We sold everything that we have. When I say everything, we sold everything. We sold our house. We sold our buildings that we actually have kids staying in presently. We invested everything and bought 118 acres. We know the Lord spoke to us. It hasn't felt like it the last year because it has been crazy struggles. But can I tell you, there is no better place to be in saying, Lord, I've heard your voice. I've stepped out. I'm living scared to death But you know what's happening? We're beginning to see windows and doors and opportunity. We just got a phone call the other day while we were here. Somebody that had a conversation a year and a half ago with us. We may want to give you another 70-some acres and all these things that were there. And they said, hey, can we meet Wednesday? And we're kind of like, Lord, are you kidding? But you know what happens. Listen, you know what happens. Through that last year, the Lord's been working out a lot of junk in me. Because he's preparing us for what he has. And we have to be willing to dwell in a place that doesn't make sense. And we have to fix our eyes in that place that we dwell that doesn't make sense upon him and him only. And as we look to him, his spirit will lead and guide and heal and restore and open opportunities that we'll never be able to experience in our lives. So this widow went and she made it first. And I love how it finishes. And she... And he, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. It says, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Can I tell you, God's word is faithful and it's true, and he never, ever, ever leaves us lacking. It's real simple, and I'm, I'm a simple person. It's not about what we have because before we give many times we go to our account our bank account and we look at it and we think Lord oh Jesus and we start well if I pay this bill and I pay this bill and I pay that bill and I pay that bill and then I pay that bill that I probably shouldn't have and all those bills we're like I don't have anything left over Maggie and I about 15 years ago we made a decision I don't care what's in the bank account. We're going to give first. It doesn't make sense here. It really doesn't. And we have watched over the last 15 years of our life God's provision in ways that exceeds our wildest imaginations. I believe that's a big portion of why House of Providence is succeeding because we were willing to plant seeds In the desolate place, it didn't make any sense. And we're just reaping what the Lord told us, whatever a man sows, he will reap. The Lord's just privileging us to be a part of that. We've seen it in our health with us and our children. We've seen it in every avenue of our life. That doesn't mean there's not difficulties, but we're learning that in the difficulties, in that desolate place, God is getting ready to do something incredible. You see, church, it's not about who we are, where we've come from. It's not about how much talent I have or or do not have. I mean, I look around. I don't know who was playing drums this morning, both of those guys. But I wish, those dudes are incredible. I sit there and like, I can't even worship because I'm like, hey. I listen to everybody sing, and I'm like, if I started singing right now, I don't have that. That's not a gift. But I do have one, maybe two gifts. And I've just learned just just to use them. And then when I fail in them, I get back up. And if we as the church, if we just say, Lord, whatever I have today, I don't know how many people are in Chicago. A lot. Millions, right? Statistics are probably ugly. They're nasty. We hear it about on the news in Detroit. But when you look at the book of Acts, the disciples, they were sold out to Christ. These guys took him at his word. I mean, they were fishermen. They were just average people. They weren't these superhumans, this super elect group of people. They were average people like us. But they said, I'm going to trust his word. I'm going to trust what I've experienced. I'm going to trust the encounter I've had and I'm going to walk it out. And literally, they transformed regions and nations. And you know that that's the same for today. Chicago Tabernacle could literally change the atmosphere, and you guys are already doing it. But you could go to a place just by saying, Yes, Lord, I'm not just gonna show up. I am given Monday through Saturday everything I have, and on Sunday, we're just gonna celebrate the goodness of the Lord. So I just asked this morning what is it the Lord's been speaking to you? Maybe today. Maybe in the last week, month. Maybe there's this thing that's been dormant for for five or 10 or 20 years. I don't know. It's not too late to say, God, today, I make the choice. Lord, I'm just gonna position myself. I'm just gonna take that step. That's the hardest thing to do is to take the step. I know you don't know me, but can I tell you when you take the step, it is so rewarding. It is so incredible when you just step out and do it and watch the hand of the Lord upon our lives. Can we pray, Father, in Jesus' name? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your goodness and faithfulness to us. We thank you that your word is true. It's alive, it's active, it's powerful. Thank you that it wasn't just meant for us to read it, God. It was meant for us to to live it, to walk it out. It was meant for us to, to, God, put it into action. And God, in this room, there's so many dreams and passions and giftings that you've placed. And for many, God... We've been paralyzed by them. We've, we, we've, we've tried and maybe we've struggled. We've, we've been thinking maybe we can't do it. Other things have sidetracked us. Father, today I ask and I pray you would revitalize those dreams in each of our hearts and that God today, we wouldn't wait till tomorrow or next week today in just a moment, we would begin to position ourselves and to take a step to trust you and your goodness, to trust that you are a good father. And if you're here this morning, you're saying, Jay, that's me. I have this gift. I I have this dream. I have this passion that the Lord has put in my life for whatever reason, it, the reason doesn't matter, that I've I just been sitting on it. I haven't done anything with it. But today I want to position myself. Today I want to not just be a part of the body of Christ in a building. I want to be the body of Christ with my brothers and my sisters that you, will you just slip up your hand and say, Lord, today that's me. Come on, all over the room. God, that's me today. Today, Father. Today I'm going to position. Today I'm going to walk in it. And Lord, you see every hand. And I ask and I pray in the name of Jesus, God, in the name of Jesus, as we take a step to trust you in obedience and cooperation, that the power of your spirit would lead, guide, and use us beyond our wildest imaginations. And, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, everyone, lift your hand to the Lord. I surrender. I surrender. I want everyone to just close your eyes for a moment. We're going to pray one for another. But I want you to think about, I want you to think about the the days that let's say Maggie and Jay just made a decision for God just an ordinary day they didn't get a parade they didn't get like banners you know it was just a decision that they made it was between them and God and yet the the creator of the universe zeroed in on that moment because God honors faith when we make those when we make those decisions the Holy Spirit zeroes in right at that moment because God honors faith and he responds to faith and then all of these kingdom operations start to take place all of these amazing things get in motion when we just say Yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. What I, what I love about today's message is that he's talking about today. He's talking about when you leave. He's talking about the verses that you do know. He's talking about the truth that is in your hand, the dream that is in your heart, the things that he already has revealed And God will build on that so many amazing things, but it all happens through surrender. And I want to pray today that this would be a moment of faith. I want to pray that this would be one of those moments, the same way the the widow actually said, I'm going to make this bread and give it to him. That day was a day when she put God first. Let this moment be the moment that we're saying, God, I'm putting you first. According to however the Holy Spirit is speaking. I want you to take the hand of someone right now. Hallelujah. All over the building, take someone's hand. And I want you to pray. I want you to pray. God, take... This offering, that this little morsel of bread, this cake. God, take, Lord, as they put you first.
3: Father, all over this building, we offer it to you, O oh God. We give it to you. We surrender to you, Lord. Father, by your mighty power, as you look down from your mighty throne, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would zero in on every heart and every life. Maybe someone is, is young in the Lord. Zero in, O oh God. <clears throat> Maybe they're older in the faith. Zero in, O oh God. Let this be the beginning of something powerful, something supernatural, O oh God, something eternal, something that's going to bring you glory and honor and praise, O oh God. Do it, Lord. Lord, this building is filled, oh God, with Jays. This building is filled with Maggie's. It's going to look different, oh God. But Lord, we say use us for your glory. That's our heart and our prayer today. Use us. Every man, every woman, oh God. Use our children, use our families, use our resources, use our homes, use our wallets, use our cars, use our food, use everything, oh God.
1: Lord, we put you first. We want to put you first and seek you first. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. For the word of the Lord has come to us, and we thank you. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. Could we put our hands together and bless
3: God? Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Greet
0: one another. Come on, take a few moments and greet one another on your way out. God bless you.